Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. It's so good to have you here this morning. And again, as Dave mentioned just a few moments ago, if you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you so much for being here. I I trust that you can sense the presence of God, and I'm I'm just uh, at that place of anticipation that something good is going to happen today. And in fact, we have that promise in the Word of God that when we gather together, He's here, and wherever He is, good things happen. You say amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, Again, uh, first Sunday of the month, first Sunday in October, also the start of a new series, and we're calling this series Hope in the Dark. Can you say that with me, please? Hope in the dark. Emphasis, hope, not the dark. And simply put, hope is the expectation of something good. It's the expectation of something good. It's the anticipation and the aspiration of a promising future. And hope is one of those key elements of life that we can't do without. Hope is necessary. Hope is essential. And don't look now, but we all have to have it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul the Apostle said, these three remain. In other words, there are three components of life, Paul said, that we absolutely have to have. Do you remember what they were or what they are? Faith, hope, and love. These three remain, Paul said. These are the things that we have to have. They have to exist for all time. Faith, hope, and love. And can you believe that with the same breath and with the same sentence, the same thought, Paul puts hope in the category of faith and love. Just think about that for a second. Because we all know how significant love is, right? I mean, in John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus said, this is my command. It's a new command that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Throughout his earthly ministry, he taught the people about the importance of love. He said the first and greatest commandment that God has ever given to us is to love. To love the Lord with all of your heart. To love your neighbor as yourself. There's no getting around the love thing. No shortcuts, no loopholes in the system. We know love is mandatory. And how many know faith is pretty important too? (laughs) Hebrews 11.6 says, without it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't even begin to satisfy the desire of God or put a smile on his face without faith. And so we know faith and love are essential. They're mandatory. But on their heels, the heels of faith and love is this wonderful blessing and gift called hope. And again, it's the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 that tells us hope is the anchor of our soul. What a statement. It's the anchor of our soul. So it tethers us to the promise of a better tomorrow or of a good future. And in this world we live, it's hope that gives us the guts and the grit to face another day. It's hope that does that. 
And here's the full passage found in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he, God, would never change his mind. God has given both his promise and his oath, and these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to God, or we who, have, who run to God for refuge, we have this great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now, there's a lot here, and I'm going to encourage you to go back and reread this passage a couple of times this week. But there's a lot of exciting information packed into this passage of Scripture. I'm especially pumped when I read that we serve a God who cannot lie, a God who will not break his oath or his commitment to us. He is faithful to his word. His promises are sure. In fact, the Bible says all the promises are yes and amen. The promises of God, you can take them to the bank. Because this passive scripture says in Hebrews that God bound himself with an oath and it's impossible for him to lie. But you know, right in this passage, there's another statement that I find pretty amazing. And this past week, I became fixated on it. And I couldn't shake it. I just kept reading it over and over again and meditating on it. And now the verse I'm referencing is Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. The last part of the verse. Here's what it says. Hope leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. That's what hope does for us. That's what hope is capable of doing. If you have this image in your mind, if you have this picture, hope, it takes us past. It has the power to take us past every obstacle, every hindrance, every disappointment, every fear, and usher us right into the presence of God. That's what it means when it says that hope takes us beyond the veil and into God's inner sanctuary. That's the place of God's presence. And hope is what gets us there. So regardless of what we face and regardless of what we go through, we can have hope. And we can have hope in the dark. Especially in the dark. When what we experience takes us to difficult and undesirable places, when life is out of control, when life just seems crazy and there's no rhyme or reason to it, we can have this powerful, wonderful gift that God has given to us, the gift of hope. The same gift that Paul put in the category with love and with faith. But here's the problem. Hope has an enemy. It's called doubt or uncertainty or insecurity. And on the other side of doubt is hopelessness and despair. You see, when you are consumed with doubt, doubt will always drag you to a place where you end up exhausting yourself with questions. Like, why is God 
allowing me to go through this right now? Or why is God allowing these bad things to happen to me? What have I done? How have I offended God? Why am I so different than everyone else? Everyone else has given testimonies of the goodness of God in their lives and how God is blessing them. And here I am going through this difficult season. Why is that? And when there are no reasonable explanations or answers to questions like that, what typically happens is the absence of hope or hopelessness. And by definition, hopelessness is having nothing to hold on to. No anchor to sustain us. And what we feel is this emotional or this spiritual freefall. And friends, in our culture today, this is a huge problem. Believe it or not, statistically speaking, hopelessness and despair is at an all-time high. And it is affecting an enormous amount of people. In fact, according to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, the leading cause of attempted suicide or suicidal thoughts is this whole idea of hopelessness. People who think they have nothing to hold on to, they have no reason to live. But I'm here this morning to tell you otherwise. We do have something to hold on to. We do have an anchor for our souls. And we do have something to live for. It's called hope. It's called hope. The word that we toss around so often and say, I hope so. I hope that's the case. That is a powerful gift from God. And all month long, for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about it. During the month of October, we're going to be talking about hope, prophetically speaking over the congregation. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you know people in your life, if you have family members or friends who are struggling right now, they're, they're discouraged, they're depressed, maybe hope has slipped through their hands and through their fingers, and I'm going to ask you to invite them and make a special effort to get them here sometime this week. Because I believe by the end of the month, there is going to be an infusion of hope in this place. And some people might even be changed and set free. I I believe that with all my heart. I'm going to ask you to believe it with me. Okay, I'm about to make an extremely profound statement. All right, you're thinking, when is he going to get to the good stuff? I'm getting to it right now. And I want you to be ready. Okay, I I want you to, to, to catch this. All right, are you ready? This is probably the most important statement I'm going to make all morning. Here it is. The very first step or the key to finding hope, and now I'm talking about a hope we can embrace, a hope that we can hold on to. The very first step in finding that kind of hope is to acknowledge and to conclude God is good period. I'm going to say that again. We're going to talk about hope all month. And we're going to talk about this wonderful blessing that God has given to us. That we all need this essential truth that becomes the anchor of our soul and our relationship with God. And the very first step in finding this kind of hope and embracing this kind of hope is to conclude no matter what happens in this life, God is good. Amen. 
period. Say that for me. God is good. One more time. God is good. That means that God is good even when life is not. When life throws you a curveball. And when you're on the receiving end of some pretty negative circumstances. Still, God is good. And check this out. This is what happens to a good number of people. What happens is people, they choose to go down this road called faith. And and over the years, 40 plus years, I've seen this happen countless times. So people receive a revelation of the goodness of God. They receive a revelation of his love. They, they never understood it. Maybe, maybe they were raised in a, in a religious home. Maybe they understood a little bit about God and, and the gospel message, but they've never really understood what Jesus did for them. And, and finally, they received that revelation, and they understand Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price for our sins. He died to redeem us and set us free. And so we make this decision to surrender our lives to God and to live for him. And during those days that we are committing our lives to God and serving God and loving God. And in those seasons when we realize just how great God is, if someone were to ask us, is God good? The majority of people would raise their hand and say, oh yeah, absolutely God is good. He's faithful. He's blessed me in so many different ways. I can't even number the number of times that God has been good to me. But then something negative happens. And you find yourself with a bad health diagnosis. Or you're standing at the graveside of a a loved one, maybe even a family member that died prematurely, or some other tragic event that takes place in your life. And what begins to happen immediately is the voice of doubt. And all of those declarations and what you have spoken as truth in your own heart and mind becomes shaken. And the enemy always capitalizes on every single one of those events and activities that take place in our lives. And he begins to tell you that God is not good. And God is not fair. And God is not a loving God. Because if God were all those things, if God cared about you, then this that you're going through right now would not be happening. And I've seen this sequence take place over and over and over again. During good times, people are filled with hope. But during tough times, their hope is shaken. And they begin to rethink whether or not they even believe that God can be trusted, that God is faithful to his word, that God keeps his promises. Well, I want to go back and repeat a statement I made just a few moments ago, the one that I said was going to be profound. And I want to say it one more time. The very first step to developing a living hope, a tangible hope, finding that kind of hope that we can hold on to is to believe and conclude beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good. He's good. He's good. And again, not for a moment am I trying 
to minimize or be insensitive to some of the heartache that you've been through. Lord knows that I've been through my share. And oftentimes when we find ourselves going through difficult times, we just have a boatload of questions for God. I mean, immediately we're just filled with these questions. How many know King David had questions for God? In Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, he probably asks more questions per verse than anywhere else in the Bible. Here's what he asked in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Ever feel that way? Ever feel like David? Here David was crying out to God with a bunch of questions, wondering why he had to go through this darkness in his life. Now, I mean, old David, he had a relationship with God. He loved the presence of God. If there were anyone in Old Testament times who, who was a worshiper, it would be David. David absolutely loved to worship his God. But here in Psalm 13, he's asking a bunch of questions. He throws a, a, a four or five questions right in a row at God. And I want you to know, when you find yourself in that place, it's okay. God is not offended when we ask him legitimately how, and tell him how we're feeling and ask questions. God can handle the questions. But here's what I'm going to ask you to never question. Even when you have a bunch of things going around in your mind, never question the goodness of God. Settle it in your heart. Make a declaration and a truth and stand on it that God is good. He's good. And the same David who asked all these questions in Psalm 13, like, God, how long are you going to forget about me? How long are you going to hang me out to dry and leave me all by myself? That same David also made a powerful statement in Psalm 34 and verse 8 when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want you to know that word taste in the Hebrew doesn't mean to put a small amount of food or drink into your mouth and judge its flavors. No, that word means to perceive and become fully aware of, to realize, comprehend, and understand, to be convinced of. Psalm 34, verse 8, literally means be convinced and know beyond a shadow of a doubt God is good. You see, when we walk through difficult times, and we all will, Jesus said so. He said, in this world, you're going to have some trouble. Regardless of what it is that we're facing, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, relational, whatever it is that we're facing, oftentimes, we're not going to have all of the answers to our questions, and we're not going to be able to resolve our situation quickly. But did you know it's that very circumstance, that negative circumstance that we find ourselves in that allows us to confirm what we already know about God. That he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He will not turn his back on us. 
You know, I talk to a lot of people who go through tough times, and, you know, the church staff and the, and the, the pastors and the elders of the church, our responsibility, and it's not because we feel obligated to do it, it's the gift that God has put us in our hearts as shepherds. We like to walk with you through tough times. Here at our church, we feel the need. We love to take you by the hand and actually stand with you during the tough times. And oftentimes when people recover from a very difficult season, and it, more, it happens more times than not, that's when we hear the testimony of people that this was tough, this was hard for me to get through, but I sense the presence of God. And now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful to his word and God does not abandon us. He's always with us. This is the testimony of people when they walk through a difficult place. And it's the hard times, it's, it's the, the tragic times that allow us to really know and to affirm uh, the faith that we have in God. 1 John 1.5 says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now that's hard for us to understand because there's a little darkness in all of us. It's there because we've been affected with the sin issue. But God hasn't been. And so this is a powerful verse of scripture. It separates us from God. It says that God is light. He's light. He doesn't just have a little light shining off of him. He is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. To say that God is good testifies that God always does what is right. You see, his nature is good. And God cannot contradict his nature. Holiness and righteousness define who he is. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. And God is the standard for everything that is good. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus. This is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. He, he approached Jesus with a couple of questions of his own. And he said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember Jesus' response? Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. God is the only one who is good. In fact, God is so good that James says he can't even be tempted with evil. Can't even be tempted. There's no evil. There is no darkness. There's no corruption in God. He can't even possess anything that is evil. Are you, are you getting this? He's light. He's good. He, he represents everything that's good. His nature is good. And so he has the perfect plan to everything. We don't know that plan. We can't see the end from the beginning because we don't have all the pieces to the puzzle. God does. And I am so encouraged by these verses that tell us that there's no darkness in God. There's no evil in God. There's no sin that can attach itself to God. He is only good. And so as we begin this series, I'm making a strong case for the goodness of God. I want you to be able to say that it automatically come out of you, no matter what you're going through, God is good. God is good. God is good. Job said that over and over again. He wasn't happy with what was going on in his life. We don't have to be that happy about it either. But I don't want you to question the goodness of God. 
God is good. It's the only way to take hold of this thing called hope. The only way to tether ourselves to the promise of God is to believe that he is a good God. And circumstances and situations that happen in our lives, there's another explanation for why they're happening other than God is doing this to me. It's not God. All right, I want to give you one last story and then we're going to receive communion together. This is actually a true story. And what I'm about to tell you took place in a classroom at LaGrange University in Missouri back in 2002. And all semester long, the students who were attending this particular class at that Christian liberal arts college, they were studying the goodness of God. That was their subject matter for the entire semester. They were taking their time to learn about the goodness and the kindness of God. And on this particular occasion, all the students came into the classroom to take their final exam. That was all that was left before the professor would give them their final grade. And they were given a few minutes to do some last-minute cramming. And all of the students had that same stress-filled, intense look on their face because final exam week can do that to you. Well, at some point, the professor said, okay, clear your desk, get rid of all of your study material. We're going to take this test. And before he passed out the test, he said, I want you to know that all the questions on this final exam can be found in the homework assignments that I gave you over the past 10 or 12 weeks. And then the professor reminded them that he had told them often that they, it was their own responsibility to do the homework assignment that he wasn't going to take them through and, and ask them if they did it. He gave them the assignment. He said, it's your responsibility to do it. And that one statement alone, it sent chills up and down the spines of every student because, because they knew if they didn't do their homework assignment, they were in trouble. Well, the professor passed out the test booklet. And as the students began to read through the questions, they couldn't believe their eyes because to their astonishment, all of the questions on the test were already answered. So the places where there should have been lines, blank lines and spaces for them to fill in the answer, the answer was already given. And so they went through the entire test and every question already had the answer. So when they began to look around in, in kind of a confused state, the professor instructed them to take a look at the note that he had placed at the back of the test. And here's what the note said. The note said that all of the answers to the final exam are correct. And because they're correct, you're all going to get an A for your final exam, which will mean you'll probably get an A as your final grade. But I want you to know, the professor said, you're not getting an A because you studied really hard or you were a good student because you prepared yourself for this final exam. You're getting an A because the creator of the exam that would be me, the professor, took the test for you. And I completed the test for you. It's almost like we worked together and we did the test together. You see, from the professor's standpoint, having studied the goodness of God for the last 10 weeks or so, and wanting to communicate somehow, in a tangible way, communicate to his students about the goodness of God, 
This was the best idea he could come up with. And he went on to explain to them, uh, the emphasis here is not that God's always going to give you the answers to life's problems. God's not always going to bail you out, especially for those of you who didn't do the homework assignment. But no matter what test you go through, God will always be there with you. Regardless of what you face, regardless of what happens in your life, this is the one thing that you can be assured of. God is with you. And friend, that's what hope is. It's a tangible, real understanding that we are never alone, that God is with us and God is good. Say that one more time. God is good. One more time. God is good. All right, let's bow our heads and prepare for communion. Father, we've been waiting for this month to come because in our planning several months back, we just believed that this was going to be a pivotal point for many, many people. We know, Lord, that in our world today, there's a lot of despair, there's a lot of fear. So many people going through difficult seasons of life. And Father, we just wanted to be able to turn our attention towards you to fix our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we thank you this morning for doing that during the worship time. Thank you for speaking so clearly to us and letting us know that you are with us. You are for us. We don't take tests by ourselves. We don't stand alone. You are a good God. You are a good God. Lord, our prayer this morning is that those three words, God is good, would become a revelation for us. If we hear nothing else, if we receive nothing else from this service, let it be said, Lord, let that be our declaration. In the midst of all of our questions, all of our uncertainty. We know you are good. We know you're good. I want to take a few minutes right before we receive the bread and the cup and we've put some scripture on the screen and what I'm going to ask you to do is just meditate. Take take a few minutes And read through these verses a couple of times and just meditate on them and let the word of God sink into your hearts. Scripture says it was on the night Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, it ended. Jesus took the cup. 
Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death till he comes. See, it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that him and his disciples were celebrating the Passover, that Jesus instituted the communion supper. Right in the middle of the Passover meal, he did what we're doing this morning. And this happened about three and a half years after Jesus started his earthly ministry. Some people don't know that. Jesus started when he was around 30, and he's now 33 and a half. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a few of the details surrounding the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we're told that it was right after that John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, was arrested and put into prison. When Jesus heard about it, he left his hometown of Nazareth, and he made his way to the region of, of Galilee. And when he did that, he fulfilled a prophetic word that was spoken by Isaiah the prophet some 700 years before it happened. And here's what Isaiah said. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. My friends, my dear friends, that passage that Isaiah spoke was fulfilled over 2,000 years ago. But I don't need to convince you that death and darkness is still casting a shadow in our land today. And we have the light of Christ. That's what we have to deal with the darkness. In fact, just a few moments ago, prior to the start of the message during the video, you heard that the best remedy for darkness is light. It's light that removes the darkness. And who was the one who sent Jesus to us? Who is the one who gave us the light of Christ? It was God. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We have this light in our world today. This service that we're going through this morning, it's not just receiving some bread and, and a little drink. It represents the light of Christ in our lives. That at some point in our life, Every one of us, before we came to know Jesus as our Savior, death and darkness cast a shadow. But now that darkness has been removed with the light. And that light is still available for every problem and every situation that we go through. We are never alone. We are never in the darkness all by ourselves. So I want to say it one more time before we receive the bread and the cup together. God is good. God is good. And I know that some of you are walking through some pretty tough times right now. 
And there's some of you that haven't even made it known. You're holding on to a situation in your life you've not even shared with anybody. It's created a certain amount of stress for you. You're carrying around that heavy burden and you're wondering if you're ever going to be set free from it. You're wondering, are you going to survive? I want you to know you will because of hope. The hope and the expectation we have of a better tomorrow. I promise you tomorrow is a better day than today because today is the day the Lord has made and tomorrow's the day that the Lord has made and he has our best interests in mind. And so I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads. And if you're in this place today and you're just under a heavy burden right now, and your heart is filled with a lot of questions and a lot of fear, and at one time you were convinced, and if anybody would have asked you, is God good, you would have been the first one to jump out of your seat and say, God is a good God, but now you're not that sure. Maybe you're rethinking this whole thing of trusting God and believing in God and wondering about the promise of God. You know, you're going through the motions of faith because you just feel that's what you should do, but deep down in your heart, you don't even know if God's real anymore, to be honest. You're just putting one foot in front of the other and desperately trying to stay above water. This prayer is for you. Father, we thank you for the hope that you've given to us. You said that these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And in this world, we can have hope. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord God, that you are with us and you're for us and not against us. That you're a good God. And this morning we lift before you, we lift to you those, Lord, who are struggling, struggling with their faith, struggling with their trust factor, struggling, Lord God, to make it through the day. Lord, we come against the hopelessness and despair that has attached itself to the people of God. We break the hold that the enemy has this blanket of heaviness over your people and we see the light of day. Spiritually speaking, Lord, where death and darkness has cast a shadow, we see the light of Christ. You are the light and in you there is no darkness. And so we're speaking freedom, Lord. We're speaking liberty. We're speaking healing and faith over every person here this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who can perform miracles. You are the miracle worker because you are a good God. And we raise our hand for our miracle, Lord. Because of what you did on the cross and because of what we celebrate today, taking this bread and cup, remembering your death until you come, we desire our miracle. And we receive it, Lord. In the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Let's receive the bread and the cup together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.